or says, would you mind preaching that again? <laughs> it's just too good of an opportunity. All right, very good. Well, I want to share tonight, um, as you know, we're going through the Bible and uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And probably Leviticus is one of the tougher books to, um, to preach a good a message from, although it's really not. I think probably what I'm trying to say is you've got to dig deep and you've got to have a, a huge grasp of the Word of God to do time of this. But really, Leviticus is about, uh, about God's holiness and it's about living in accordance with God's law. That's what Leviticus is about. But what makes it so hard to identify with is that Leviticus is all about the sacrificial system of which, as believers, we know Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled, if you will, the book of Leviticus. So it's kind of a hard way to apply. Now, Leviticus um, was named Leviticus in the 2nd century B.C. So 200 years before Christ, when they were translating the Hebrew again, and I can't remember for life of me what the Hebrew name was, but it was another strange. Remember this morning was, you know, and these are the names. Well, it's kind of like that, you know. I'm going, man, who dreamed of these names for these Bibles? But but the reason they chose Leviticus because Leviticus means um, according to the Levites, according to the Levites. And basically, a lot of Leviticus deals with the Levitical law, and so hence the name Leviticus. It's written 1446, uh, 1446 years before Jesus Christ. Okay, and written by Moses. And I didn't bring it out this morning. We really have no documented proof. No one argues the fact that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you say, now wait a minute, Dwayne, how did he write Genesis when he wasn't even obviously around? How did he do that? Well, duh, God was. You know, we believe that men are led by the Holy Spirit. And so God simply gave him a briefing and said, okay, here's how it went. Okay? I say, that's just what I believe, how I believe it. You know, I think God's able to do that. So, the key text, I thought this was good. The key text is 1145, and you don't need to go there, I'm going to read it to you. For I am the Lord that brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You therefore, ye therefore, shall be holy, for I am holy. So, God teaches two incredible truths to the, to the people that were alive in, in the days of Leviticus, but also really teaches it today for us also. The first one is this. That God provides forgiveness of sin through the spilling of blood. Now, keep in mind, the sacrificial system was put in place looking forward to the cross. Paul makes it very clear in the New Testament that the blood of rams and goats cannot take away sin, but the blood of the Lamb of God can. Amen? And so, they were looking forward to the cross that day. So, the sacrificial system, there could be a relationship with God but sin had to be atoned for, and it was atoned for by the spilling of blood. The old song, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All right? So that is the first great truth that God can provide forgiveness of sins through the spilling of the blood of animals and ultimately His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second great truth is this, that's taught in Leviticus, is that, is that it tells God's people, if they're going to be in covenant with Him, how to live. And again, you see it, be holy, for I am holy. I'm God, the word holy means set apart. I am set apart, so you be set apart. And this is a real struggle in today's world. It shouldn't be, but it is. You know, I, I'm going to be very candid and not holier than thou, but very candid, I am very, very careful about what I watch, what I read, 
what I see and places I go. Okay, I'm just telling you, I am. It's a big deal to me um, that these eyes don't see things that it should not see. It's just a big deal. Now, here's the gig. If you're not careful, that comes across as legalistic. Okay? God's not legalistic. And this pastor doesn't want to be legalistic. Again, if legalism here and, and liberalism's over here, I want to be far from both of them. I want to be right in the middle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But, but in the society we live in today, and where I was going with this is, there are still some things that today that I allow in my life that if I was alive in 1950, you had never gone to a restaurant and served alcohol. Matter of fact, well, restaurants didn't serve alcohol. You'd gone to a bar, okay? But, but now, with, with the advent, almost every restaurant around serves alcohol, okay? So all of us have things that at one time we just said, no, I'll never do that or won't do that, and we find ourselves doing those things. It's very easy in our society to be unholy. And it's very easy for us to write that off and say, it's okay, either because everybody does it, or that's the day we live in, or God doesn't care, or whatever. And I'm here to tell you, God does care. God doesn't care. We need to live holy lives. And you don't need some preacher banging the pulpit to tell you what's holy and what's not. You just need to read the Word of God and listen to your heart. And if you're a believer, it will tell you. Amen? It will tell you. Just be careful in this ungodly world that you don't fill your brain with things that don't be there. An example popped in my brain. I won't use a name even though this was public record. Um, I was reading my greetings on Facebook from birthday and stuff. And I someone called some of our church members... Um, who doesn't come, but, but they live over that way. But, um, you know, they said they were going to go see the movie The Evil Within, you know. I don't usually go see movies, not less scary movies, and I don't even know what it's about. I know it's about Satan and, and religious leaders and how Satan uses that and this. And anyway, so I wrote back and said, be careful, be careful. Well, she came back saying it was a stupid movie and all of this, but she did talk about the evil in it, okay. And she justified going to see the movie because her nephew wanted her to go see it. There's all kinds of justifications to see and to watch and to hear things that we simply don't need to hear or watch or see because someone wants us to do it. And that doesn't make it right. A good place for an amen. Especially on a Sunday night crowd with a bunch of older folks. That's right, preacher. You don't tell those people about that. You know? You know? But the truth is the truth. We're to be holy. And it's so easy in this world to be unholy and to justify it. All right? Now. So I said, okay, Lord, and this is probably the toughest book that, that is so active on a Sunday night. This is the toughest book to really find something to, I wanted to share um, with you. And so I, lend, I, I lighted, I lit, I lit, I lit in Leviticus 5, 7 through 12, and Leviticus 6, okay? That's where we're going to go tonight. And I knew it would tie in with this morning, and so that's, inten- that's intentional, it's not unintentional. But it's also just, you know with me, relationships are very important. Relationships are very, very, it's very important to God. Now, I, I told you I was going to introduce and say this. You know, what happened this morning? Well, we called Brother David to be our associate pastor of worship and education. That's exactly right happened. But, but what also happened was this, that we had a vote of 220 people saying yes, and we had a vote of 58 people saying no. Okay? So, so we had, we had um, 79% of the people say yes, but we had 21% of the people Say, no, we do not believe this is the will of God. And I'm sure there's a plethora. Many and varied. (laughs) There's a plethora of reasons why that happened. Okay, some would say this, that, don't, don't like, did happen, hurt, you know, whatever. Can't come back, whatever. And it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But what matters is, for my purposes tonight is... 
is that 58 of our brothers and sisters said no, and 220 of our brothers and sisters said yes. That's about right. Now, that's not a big deal, except for this. We're human. We're human. And it's very easy for the 220 to go on a witch hunt and go, let's find out what 58 people said. No, they're obviously not as godly as me. See? And it's very, very easy to, you know, to, to, to witch hunt that. It'd be awful easy for the 58 to say, um, we didn't get what we wanted, okay? Uh, it hurt us that we didn't, we didn't get that. And for them to say, we obviously hurt God and y'all didn't, okay? It'd be very easy for that to happen. And the reason I know it's very happy is, one, we're human, and two, God, or excuse me, Satan is very, very good at stirring the pot. I mean, if I left melancholy this morning, just a little bit, just a tad, I, I'm, I'm very glad that Brother David's coming back. I believe it is within the will of God to bring him back. Brent is glad. We have a great team together, and he leads great worship, okay? But I also know this, that 58 people said no, and I don't ever like leaving anybody behind. And I want you to know that my, my intention is, I, I know some of the things that were said, and my intention, if, if it's if within David's power to work on those issues, I'm going to hold his feet to the fire. If, if he sent a message that you weren't wanted in worship, if he sent a message you wasn't friendly, if he sent a message of this or something like that, I'm going to say, Dave, these are areas you need to work on. I'm your supervisor and I'm your friend. And you need to work on these areas in your life. Matter of fact, I've already done it. Well, I spent two and a half hours with him on a Monday afternoon saying, now, are you hearing what we're saying here? People feel this way. There are people that feel this way. And you need to work on these areas as worship and education pastors. So I intend to do that. I want, I want you to know that. And those of you who were, who, who were voted yes, then praise God, we're going to move forward. And we're going to move forward in a great way of all of us growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want it. Does that make sense? It really does. I'm telling you, I love unity. I love unity. I am a, I'm a conflict avoidance, but I believe, I, well, I'm going to read John 17 in just a minute. I believe that God really does want us to be one. That doesn't mean we all vote yes. Come on. Not only we all vote yes. It just means we all learn to disagree agreeably. Because we're not always going to agree. Always going to agree. So, so what had happened was, I took Leviticus 5, 5 through 7, and Leviticus 6, and I want to talk about tonight what happened. So, so as a warning to, what if, what if you go on a witch hunt? Okay? Or, or to the temptation, what if you're over here and you're one of 58 and you, and you have a tendency to, to take your ball and go home? Okay? And, and I'm going to show you tonight what to do and, and to avoid that, but what happens if it does, okay? And it starts in, in verse number 5. The Lord spoke to Moses. Now, first thing I want to show is this, and I don't like the word I've got here, God has an opinion. There's two, two things that are very important. God has an opinion about what he's fixing to say. And God says, God says to Moses, now this is what I think about this. Now, whatever you think is, is non-consequential, <laughs> Plethora, non-consequential. Okay, don't tell me. All right? It's really non-consequential. It doesn't really matter. It really matters what God says. Here's what God says. Tell the Israelites, when a man or woman commits any sin, say any sin. Okay. When a man or woman commits any sin against a brother, okay, that person acts unfaithfully toward the Lord and is guilty. So, first off, God says, I've got an opinion about this, and here's my opinion. When you act unfaithfully, when you sin against a brother or sister, okay, you need to know something. One, 
you're sinning against them. But far more importantly, you are sinning against God. Write that down. No matter what, the, whether it's in relationships, dealing with the vote of a staff person, whether you just don't like a person, whether a patient offends you, uh, whether you don't like this or don't like that, or whether some totally different, someone got your parking place, for goodness sake, on Sunday morning. I, I, I teasingly, I saw a couple of our folks, oh, they were sitting over here. I said, I said, what are y'all doing over here? And she laughingly said, someone got our seat. <laughs> You know, no matter what it is, you need to understand something. When you have something between your brother, okay, one, there's a sin between you and that person. But two, there's a sin between you and God. In fact, in fact, later on we're going to read just a moment in verse number two of, of Leviticus six. You offend God. Relationships are hugely important to God Almighty. Look at six one and two. Leviticus six one and two. The Lord said to Moses, when someone sins and offends the Lord. I like that. It's almost a poetic thing in the translation of New King James. When someone sins and offends. When you sin, that sin offends your heavenly Father. Okay? And both these scriptures are dealing with relationships with people. So when we choose to have, when we choose to harbor unforgiveness or bitterness or anger toward any other person in the body of Christ, particularly, we sin and we offend holy God. Amen? You gotta get this now, okay? Now in this case, well it's a list of things. When someone sins or offends the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in regard to a deposit, a security, um, a robbery, or perhaps he defrauds his neighbor. Or you find something lost and pay finders, losers, keepers, weepers. You find something lost and you lie about it. Or, as a catch-all, you swear falsely about any of the simple things a person may do. So, so God says, one, I have an opinion about this, and when you offend a brother, then you offend God. Relationships are huge. No, we won't always agree. But we are called by God to love each other. And I say, if, if, you're, if the vote went your way this morning, that's cool, that's great, you know. But don't you dare. Don't you dare go on a witch hunt. Don't you dare do that. And if you're one of the 58, you say, well, you know, vote didn't go my way. You know, you know I understand your concerns. I hear those concerns. But at the same time, don't take your ball and go home. We are here today to advance the kingdom of God. The matter, I know what I said. I, matter of fact, I said it to David. David, we we're talking about, the, somebody was saying we were talking about, you know, the business meeting. I said, I want to tell you something right now. I looked at David, I said, you are inconsequential this morning. You just don't matter, God does. That vote this morning was somewhere number 38 on the priority list because the Word of God and a God had to be worshipped and we had to preach the Word of God. That's what mattered this morning. Now, a vote was somewhere down the line. We only did it on Sunday morning because we wanted you guys to have that opportunity. But we were there, first and foremost, to worship God. And we were there to preach the precious, holy word of God. So, so that was all non-consequent. It doesn't matter in scope of eternity. Okay? It doesn't matter. Now, what do you do if you sin? What do you do if you sin someone? Well, that's what it says. Go back to Leviticus 5, verse number 7. The person who sins, 
who, who cast rocks or whatever. The person is to confess the sin. To whom? Well, God. Oh. Ruth says, and the person that you've offended. See, it's awful easy. Y'all know how easy it is. It's awful easy to shoot a verbal barrage, and I'm so good at it. You know, for a guy who makes a living communicating, I sure manage to mess up my tongue a whole lot. But it's so easy to shoot a verbal barrage and hurt someone and then run to my little prayer closet and get on my knees before God and say, Hey, God, this is the way that is me. There's that person yesterday. I I word vomited, God. That's what I word vomited. I just said, I didn't care. You know what I mean, God? Okay, thank you, God. Sorry. And then just go on my way. And then it's awful easy to turn around and do it again. But, what if every time you word vomited on someone, you had to go to that person and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You reckon you slow down just a little bit? You reckon if every time that you got in a corner somewhere and was talking about someone, you had to go to that person directly and say, before you could ever worship God again, that you had to go back to that person and say, I'm sorry? You reckon we slow down sinning just a little bit? You reckon if every time you, you kind of winked at a woman, men, had a little lust in your heart for him that you had to stand before the church and say, I lust that person and I had lust in my heart. You reckon we slow down just a little bit? See, we got in this habit, this thought of just going to tell God about it. But you know what James says? Confess your faults one to another. Come on now, come on, don't be quiet on me. I'm fixing to nip some sin in the bud. I mean, we start, we start, we start calling people out from the pulpit. All right, Bill, tell me what you said about Betty the other day. Go ahead, spill your guts. I just got a stinking suspicion. Bill wouldn't talk so much. <laughs> just got a stinking suspicion. I could be wrong. But you know, see, he says, look, he says, the person, verse 7, the person has confessed the sin he has committed, okay, he has committed, and he is to pay full compensation. That's where Ruth is absolutely right. You know, if there is a compensation for the sin, and depending on what it was, it was, it was something that a verbal constipation, not constipation, I was say. Con- compensation, hard work. Compensation had to be given, then you've got to do that. You've got, you can't give, you can't pay back without going to the person. See? So God is saying that when we sin, we sin against that person and we sin against Him and we need to tell Him and we need to tell that person. We need to tell that person. I don't, now, if it's private sin, okay, no one else is involved. But I'm telling you, even then you need an accountability partner. Because I've lived long enough and have been a Christian long enough to know that when I tell Judy about something in my life, I'm like, less likely to commit it again than if I keep it to myself and just tell God. Accountability works. Okay? So, so God's Word says, in the Old Testament, says that we are to confess a sin and then make compensation for it. And... Add a fifth of its value to it and give it to the individual he has wronged. So, now we are to, to compensate, we are to give back 20% more than it was. So, so whatever it is, if it's a verbal apology, I mean, and I mean not, not, a, not just a, a flowery apology, but from the depths of your heart, you need to go to that person, and if, if, if humble pie is on the menu, eat humble pie and have it for dessert too. 
Come on, amen? Now, now listen, you write the Word of God, don't you? That's what the Word says. When you recompense, you do that plus 20% more. I know it's Old Testament, but it's, it's in the New Testament too. It's New Testament too. And I'm telling you, I'll, I'll tie it in at the end, but I'm telling you, when the world sees that kind of response, seeing people apologize and going over the top apologizing, they go, I want what they got. They're not impressed with our good habits. But boy, they're impressed with our people's skills. They really are. All right, now, look at verse number, look at verse number 4 of Leviticus 6. Now, now notice, watch this, watch this. Once again, talking about the, that list of sins. Once he has sinned and acknowledged his guilt. Do you see that? It was assumed that people in covenant relationship would, if they sinned, would acknowledge their sin. It was assumed that people in co- covenant relationship with God would acknowledge their sin. Why in the world, in this wonderful age of grace, why in the world, in the day we live in, why in the world do we live with unconfessed sin in our life and act like it's not there? Can I have an amen? Why do we? It was assumed in the Old Testament, not even knowing the cross yet, not experiencing that forgiveness yet, looking forward to the cross, that if you're in, if you're in covenant relationship, naturally you would want to acknowledge your sin against holy God. We should too. I mean, I'm... When you get in that quiet room, if you consistently do this, and God, if I sin, forgive me. And while you're going, what do you mean, if you sin? Don't you remember the guy you cut off in traffic and flipped off? Don't you remember when you were on the phone this afternoon gossiping about Aunt Bertie? Don't you remember when you took my money and spent it at Walmart? Hello? What do you mean if I sin? If you sin. So it's, it's just expected that we'll start confessing our sin and being specific about it. And once he has acknowledged his sin, his guilt, he must return what he stole or defrauded. Or the deposit entrusted to him. Or the item lost that he found. Or anything else about which he swore falsely. He must make full restitution for it and add 20% of its value to him. He is to pay it to its owner on the day he acknowledges guilt. Woo! God seems to have an opinion that says, and so when I offend Judy, I don't, husbands, we don't wait a month to tell our wives. Can I have a witness? When, when, you, when you hurt someone, intentionally or unintentionally, and you find out about it, you don't wait a month working up the courage. You go to the person and say, look, I'm sorry. I've done this. I am sorry. And if there's, if there's anything I can do to make it right, I want to do that. That's the 20%. Whatever I can do to make it right is what I want to do. Amen? I'm telling you, it'll change your marriage. It'll change relationships. It'll change church. And it will change our ability to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ because they will see something that totally is unearthly. And that is this. Anybody cannot drink. Anybody cannot have outside marriage sex. Anyone can do that. But when it comes to people skills like this, being Jesus-like, that gets the world's attention. That's a good place for an Amen. Good place for an amen. Now, 
What's it? In this particular scripture, he ain't done yet. Then, verse 6 of Leviticus 6, he must bring his restitution offering. Oh, there's more. This is the offering to the building fund. See, you already, you already went and apologized, and you already went and gave, you, you, you gave restitution, and you gave 20%, and now God says, I want my cut. He must bring his restitution offering to the Lord, an unblemished ram. Now, that don't mean anything to us. I mean, that's like going to Walmart and five pounds of hamburger. Okay? But a ram was a very valuable animal. Uh, and you remember what they said, how much does a ram for a Tabasco cost? Five or six hundred dollars? And we're waiting, how do these poor African people, isn't that right, man? How, where, where do they get this money from? And yet they will sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice to buy this hugely expensive animal to sacrifice. Well, this was a big deal. This is a big deal. So, and God says, now what you've got to do is, you've got to get out there and you've got to find, either give one of your rams or buy a ram and take it to the priest and he's going to offer it for you, okay? And, and watch this. According to your assessment of its value. Moses, according to the assessment of its value. The ram was in accordance with the sin. If the offense was very great, you go buy a pretty nice ram. Now, if it's a, if it's a little offense, you may get by a little ram. But it's assessed according to its value. And I think God, the message I'm trying to tell you today is, listen, that when we offend other people, there is some restitution and it's sometimes costly. Sometimes you just got to be willing to go and look a person in the eye, although it hurts, and say, I am so sorry, I was so wrong. And that's husbands, and that's wives, and children with their kids, and kids with their parents. It's all relationships. And why it's so important is that God, God will be known to the world when we do. And see, that, that idea about the ram, that was in the New Testament. You know, when Peter said, you know, how many times did my brother sin before and I had to defend him? Seven times, and Jesus said those 70. And he told that long parable story. Uh, about the guy, you know, and about he was in jail and, and he got forgiven. Then he went and found the guy and strangled him because he owed him a lot less money. And the, the guy got thrown back in prison. Remember that story? And here's what Jesus said. And so will my heavenly Father do to you if you don't forgive likewise. God's saying, God's saying the thought that you can have relationship with Him and fellowship with Him, or you can have relationship but not fellowship with Him, you know, you can worship Him with unconfessed relational sin, it's not true. It's not true. You've got to keep your slate clean with God. Not for salvation. For fellowship. Come on now. Amen? See, that's, that's why some of us struggle with worship. You know why you sometimes come to church and nothing happens? You want to know why? Sometimes it's that pastor. <laughs> can't preach as well with a paper bag. Sometimes it might be. But sometimes... It's our heart. Our heart's so hardened by sin, worship can't take place. And what's the answer to that? Forgiveness, repentance. Forgiveness and repentance. And that, you might be surprised, all of a sudden church becomes interesting again. All of a sudden church becomes alive again. All of a sudden, there's a smile on your face again. Hugely important. All right, let's wind this puppy up. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I really want to... I think it's important. Whenever we go to the Old Testament, we've got to bring it to the New Testament. 
And then, by the way, this is real important to God. Matthew 5, 21. We, we just heard this like two months ago. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring, this is what Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, that means either you offended someone, or someone's offended you. Either way, it works both ways. Leave your gift, leave your worship there before the altar, and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus says, before you can worship, and more important than worship, is reconciling with your broken relationships with your brother and sister. And and where where would he put this on the priority list? Isn't it like down here somewhere? Jesus says it should be right up here. Who said that? Jesus did. Dwayne, you really got a scripture for that? Yeah, Uh, John 17. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Last big prayer meeting before the cross. He's praying and so distressed. He's so, so apprehensive about the cross because he knows what's involved. He knows the physical punishment and he knows the fact he's fixing to become sin. And for holy God, that's a big gig. Okay? He knows all of that. So he's, so he's actually sweating blood. Okay? Hours away from the cross. They're fixing to come and arrest him and say, he's the man and beat him and nail him to a cross. And here's what he says. In verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. you got to stop there. Do you not find it incredible, Terry, that 2,100 years ago Jesus prayed for you? Is that not incredible? Come on, amen, come on now. Jesus prayed for you. Lord, I pray for those Dorisville Baptist church people. Okay? I pray for them. And Lord, I pray for them particularly on, on February, on January the 8th. Is that what today is? The 8th. Lord, they go through this difficult process of choosing a worship leader. Lord, I pray for them. Okay? Now watch this. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. I really don't think he meant that everybody vote yes or no. But that the hearts would be so unified that we express what we believe is God's will and then we move forward in unity. That's oneness. They're not robots. Please circle yes on your ballot. Please circle no on your ballot. Please approve this year's budget. Vote yes. We're not robots. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a heart so focused that even if there is disagreement, once it's over, it's over. Now watch this. Remember I told you what really grabs the world's attention is when they see God's people together? Watch this. Let me read 21 all through so you'll be sure you can get it. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me 
and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Be glad he's my grandson. <laughs> that the world may believe that you sent me. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, hours before the cross, said, God, there's one thing that's going to convince this world that you sent me. And it's the unity of God's people. Not our rules, not our rituals, not our religion, our unity. Wow. So whether it's this morning or next week or a year from now or whatever it is, whether it's someone got your parking place or someone got your seat or someone's in your stall in the ladies' bathroom, whatever it might be, hey, we're Baptists. We're kind of quirky. Whatever it is, the end result, at the end of the day, Jesus said, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what matters. Would you bow your head, please? Johnny, I think I'd just like for Val play. Just let Val play something. Now, what I want you to do is... I want you to be real honest. Has someone offended you? Has someone offended you? Or have you offended someone? I want to challenge you to do something with that. I want to challenge you to do something with that. We have such a tendency to hear the Word of God and then file away. Okay, that was a pretty good message. It was a good message. It wasn't a good message. File away. Okay, we, we check off Leviticus tonight. But there's real life change in this. There's real life change. It will change us as people. And it will lead a lost world to Jesus. Pretty incredible. Maybe tonight before you leave this building. I don't know. Maybe it's someone you want to go to. I don't know. Maybe there's a letter you need to write. A card to write. Someone to pray for. Someone to pray for. And prayer for you probably preface all of this. God, I've been hurt. I need to pray about this. Because if I go now, I'll speak in anger. Or if you're the one who's offended, God, I really, first, be sure and break me good. Break me good. Father, I don't want to do this again. And then give me the grace to go to this person and express what I need to express. Because, God, there's a world out there who's dying and going to hell. And your son said that the world will believe that you sent him when they see unity in us. A unified body. God help us to do that. Who comes to your mind tonight? Who comes to your mind? I I know some of you have been so hurt by people. 
so hurt. For some of you, it was family. That's tough. That's hard. Begin with prayer. Sometimes it's a repeat offender. That's right, 70 times 7 thing comes in. Because forgiveness is really never for us. It's, excuse me, it's not for them, it's for us. It sets us free. When we're able to forgive and put it behind us, it sets us free. Okay, I want to pray for us. Father, it's been a good day. I really do believe we worshipped you today, this morning and tonight. Two different men, because the men doesn't matter. The men do not matter. Father, two different messages, yes, by the same speaker, but the speaker does not matter. But your word was preached and proclaimed. Thank you, God, for that. And Father, we conclude this day with... In one way, an assumption of a, a journey, and another way, a brand new journey. I know, Father, the plans that you have for us. Plans to prosper us. Plans to give us hope and a future, according to Jeremiah 29 and 11. I believe all my heart, Father, that you have plans for this church that are so incredible, you've yet to reveal all of them to us. And I know it's just your grace. Now that said, Father, I also know the deceiver. And he is good at what he does. But you are greater at what you do. So guard our hearts. Guard our minds. Guard our eyes. Guard our ears. Guard our tongues. Protect us, Father. Sometimes even from ourselves. Protect us. Guide us. And Father... When your great missionaries once said that the future is as bright as the promises of God. And in fact, it is. Thank you for that. So Satan, we say no to you tonight. No. No, you will not have the opportunities that you want. And Jesus, we say yes to you tonight. We will be your people of different opinions. But we will be your people unified by the common denominator that you are, Jesus. Thank you for that. Bless these dear people. Bless these dear people. Father, for the 439 people who filled our sanctuary this morning, bless these dear people. Father, I'm already looking forward to next week and the opportunity to gather together and to worship the great I Am. And in between that is seven days and a bunch of hours. And God, we know that throughout this week and these days, you're going to show yourself to be the great God. And we're grateful for that. So dismiss us with your love and care. And we look forward, Father, as you see fit, to give us tomorrow. And Jesus, I pray in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.